You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast, coming to you live recorded from CES 2018. I'm your host, Victor. I'm back, and joining me is Mike Worthley. Hello again, everybody. I am not at CES. I'm at my desk, but you should probably expect that by now. And I know you're grateful that you're not here. Yeah, the the CES environment is just not for me. I, it's the, the crowds. I've, I've done my bit in overcrowded environments, and I'm done with that, so... It's it's an astoundingly well-attended show. There are a huge number of people here. The show sprawls across three convention floor halls, uh, at least two hotel convention centers, and a third one for press events, not to mention that there are tons of companies that have a smattering of suites all up and down the Las Vegas Strip. And so if you're trying to cover this event, it's very difficult to see everything. It's very difficult to see the things you want to see just because you lose two hours trying to get anywhere other than the hall that you're actually in. And, and a non-sarcastic shout out to Nevada Power for getting the power back on yesterday after about an hour and a half outage on the main floor. Yeah, North and Central Halls lost power yesterday for for a good bit. And I have already begun to receive PR pitches telling me that... Uh, we need to switch to their power banks. <laughs> well, I, and, and amusingly, know. amusingly, one of the power banks' product name is Coal, so we need to switch to Coal oh. in order to get the power back. Oh on. boy, yeah. There was a uh, social media. A bunch of brands took to social media to take advantage of the blackout yesterday, like uh, Dell with the XPS 13 saying it's lit after many hours of darkness and, and other assorted little tidbits like that. It was uh, interesting to watch it develop on social media as it happened. And every smart light bulb company gets a tag in there, and it's it's fun, yeah. But I this has been a weird year, right? I've been coming to this show for seven years. There are a lot of people who are veterans who've been coming for much longer than I have, as much as 22 years even, one guy I know. And they've never seen flooding in the streets of Las Vegas from the rains. Mm-hmm. They've never seen rains. <laughs> one guy who's an old-timer recalled a snowfall one year. But most of the people that I run into can't even recall that. I think that was 2004 that they had the snow during the CES that year. It was 2004 or 2005. Really? Uh, and it's the rain actually shut down Google's booth for the better part of the day because their their trailer wasn't sufficiently weatherproofed. Yeah. Well, nothing here is, you know, because they never experienced rain. They don't know that the roof has a leak. <laughs> well, that makes sense in a strange kind of desert way, I suppose. Yeah, you, you find out when you have buckets all over the casino floors. It's really something. Uh, but that's not the important thing. I don't want to bring you the news about the weather. I want to bring you the news about some of the bizarre and wonderful things that we've been seeing. And, and as an Apple user, before you flip out about this, there's a couple market factors at work this year. The first one being Apple's shift in HomeKit from a hardware solution to being able to be done in software. So that means we're seeing more HomeKit this year than we've seen before. And also, Intel is loosening up Thunderbolt 3 licensing requirements in 2018. So USB-C and Thunderbolt peripherals we're actually seeing a lot of this year as well. Well, I want to temper that a little bit by saying a lot, because there are still many people on the show floor exhibiting products that are suitable for Amazon Alexa and Google Home Assistant mm-hmm. or Google Assistant that have no idea that Apple has loosened the restrictions around HomeKit authentication. Yeah, I think this is going to be a multi-year process. I, I, Apple kind of slipped that in during the during the WWDC 
They didn't. It was huge if you knew to watch for right, it. Right, but, but if, if you didn't yeah, know you to didn't, watch for right. it, you missed it. Right, and the and the Intel thing was kind of a kind of a subdued press release, and I want to say November as well. So I think that both are going to be a multi-year evolution. I, I think that this year there is more HomeKit than we've seen. I think next year will be ridiculous. Yes, no, but I've been going around the show floor and and actually educating people to look into HomeKit and to find out about what's required now because the requirements are so much easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. And and this is interesting, but there are products out here like there are XJimmy projectors, which we've got a review unit of and we're going to get more eventually, that are Android-based but have AirPlay compatibility. So you can AirPlay video to them, which is pretty cool. Um, there are devices that have Amazon Alexa built in and are going to have Google Assistant built in but also accept AirPlay audio, AirPlay video, which are interesting. And I I say that because traditionally when you have an Android product and you're shipping it with with the Android OS, you you wouldn't necessarily concern yourself with AirPlay, but they have, which I like to bring to light. What I'm actually finding a little disturbing is we're not seeing anything with AirPlay 2. This is on Apple is what I'm thinking. I I think you're right. and, And there are companies that I've talked to that have said AirPlay 2 is absolutely a yes, but you can't speak anything about it with our company name. It's under embargo because we will be there when Apple is ready to be there. We actually don't have much more from vendors other than, yes, we will support AirPlay 2 when it is available. We don't have any kind of product lists as far as, say, what Danon receivers are going to have it. We don't have any kind of guidance as to future and, products. And you should be careful. It. You should be careful to not call out one manufacturer with that because I'm, I'm hearing this from every audio manufacturer that you can think of. I, I'm going around and I'm asking, and I'm not just asking you know, the one that you mentioned. I'm asking all of their competitors. And, and that's why I want to avoid naming names because they're all giving the same answer, which is we intend to do it as soon as we are able, as soon as Apple is ready. Yeah, the only reason why I picked Danon is, well, number one, because I have one. And number two, they're on that slide when they were talking about AirPlay 2 at the WWDC back in the summer. So sure, this and that's, that's a good reason. Yeah, but, this isn't yeah. inside knowledge or anything like that. I haven't. We, we have had some email exchanges with just about every audio company asking about AirPlay 2, and we, we keep getting the same canned response. So, yeah. But, I, you know, I want to mention, I mean, we're going to have an interview later in the show with... Uh, with the, the head of marketing for Pioneer Rays, which is a, a very interesting audio product. And uh, they, they've they provided to us the currently released version of Rays, the earphones, and Rays Rally, which are lightning audio products that have female lightning ports on them so that you can do the pass-through charging. And uh, that's that's pretty cool. But the charge port, it's not just a charge port. It's also a data-compatible port. So you could hook up your headphones and be listening and also sync to a computer. Or the Rally product is a speakerphone. And the thing beauty of it there is that it's a conference-calling kind of phone, which works way better than when you just put your iPhone on speaker on a table and everyone tries to crowd around it. And it has a female lightning port on it so that you can charge your phone while you're doing it. Or if you want to use your computer and not have four people crowding over your shoulders while you're on Skype or something or FaceTime for that matter, you can just use your regular USB or USB-C to lightning cable and connect it to that. 
and use it as a speakerphone for your computer. The Rays with a Z, that is R-A-Y-Z. Yes, they were. Correct. It was one of the first products to actually embrace the lightning plug for an audio peripheral, as opposed to just, say, a docking station for a stereo or something like that. Right. It's a solid product. I, I had a chance to mess around with the headset. I, I haven't really examined it in any kind of depth. I'm very pleased with the build quality that I saw with what I what, with what I had used. God, I want to say this is eight months ago at this point. Yeah. So, but you had mentioned that we we have these on hand now. We I have them in my hot little hands. Oh, that's fantastic. And they have the headphones, the earbuds, are smart active noise canceling earbuds that do not have a giant battery wart on them, do not have a giant uh, remote control wart in the middle. They have a remote control lump, but it's a very small svelte one. You, if you looked at them, you would not notice there's anything out of the ordinary for these things. That's how good they've done. That's how accomplished they are at making this stuff shrink down. And what I have to really say is, is that they've got six microphones on these. And so they use microphones to calibrate the audio for your ears for noise cancellation. They use it to set the noise floor for the noise cancellation. And they use it to do cool tricks. Like you can take the earphones out of your ear and the music will pause because they can tell that they're no longer in your ears. You put them back, it starts playing again. If you're on a conference call, they can do super cool things like they smart mute. So when you're speaking, you come off mute. And when you stop speaking, it automatically mutes you. So you don't end up being the guy in the conference call where everyone says, can the guy in the airport please put himself on mute? It's really, <laughs> really pretty awesome. And the the thing that I think they have a hard time communicating sometimes is that because these are lightning products, they can update them via the app. So they can update the firmware via the app and not just bug fix, but add functionality. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Victor and I have been on this beat for a long time, and the, we have a part of the initial hazing ritual, I think, for lack of a better term, and in, in when you first get on this beat, is you get hey, battered. Hey, there, there were no paddles involved. Uh, no, there weren't, but there were in a, but there were an assortment of various audio accessories, starting with very early, very bad Bluetooth ones, and just an array of earbuds and things like that. And they have come... Even in the last five years, they've come so far. And I was originally skeptical with the lightning only thing versus well, I mean, getting rid of the I want to be jack. careful and say that, that the bad products were not from Pioneer in this case. They no. were, you know, yeah, I'm not, all, I'm not all speaking a wide variety of manufacturers. Yeah, I'm not speaking really of Pioneer. terrible Bluetooth stuff years ago. Yeah, I'm not speaking of Pioneer specifically here. This is just in general, we'd get a wide array of stuff. And what lightning has done is now we have a, a digital all the way through to your ear hole kind of connection where you can do things like adding adding features and software and previously you'd get the you know the trs jack and you'd plug it in and what you got is what you got and if something didn't work something didn't work and that's the way it goes and and so i think the thing to point out here is that historically people had a lot of love for the the trs or trrs jack but the the thing to do is to not look at at the removal of that that jack, removal of the headphone jack as a negative thing, look at it as an opportunity for all the cool things that are now possible when you go all digital like that. Yeah. Now, it's important to point out that many of the audio people here at the show are focused on Bluetooth, that lightning audio is not necessarily setting the world on fire here in terms of what's being exhibited. Um, and that's why I'm highlighting Pioneer, because they're really showing off what can be done. Mm -hmm. There are... A lot of our, our friends from other shows and other booths um, exhibiting that are doing Bluetooth and doing Bluetooth well. And I want to point out Libratone, for example, who are launching a, a Bluetooth earbud set that are pretty awesome. Libratone, we've been reviewing them for years, and 
they just keep updating their products using firmware updates available over the air to fix things and make them better. You know, they integrated Amazon Alexa's voice into the Libertone Zip speaker product just by a software update. They're they're doing interesting things. I want yep. to mention uh, another one called Aftershocks, which we're going to review. And Aftershocks is a bone conduction Bluetooth headphone set. So you don't actually have anything in your ear. It conducts the noise through the bones on the side of your skull. And they're so light. And I think they're the only approved earphone or headset that you can use while running a marathon because they don't actually block your ears. Oh, so that makes not, sense. Yeah. You're not in danger of, you know, outside noises kind of thing. Yeah, Bluetooth for sure has come a long way, just the same as, as Lightning Audio has versus the TRS stuff. It's, um, yeah, a lot has happened in the way of Bluetooth. The first stuff that, like I said, that Victor and I have seen and reviewed you know, with Bluetooth 2 and so, not so good. But the Bluetooth 4 and 5 stuff is solid. The auto quality is nice. It, it's, it's, well, for lack of a better term, it's very pleasant to see how, how this has improved over time. Right. Now, Bluetooth is a little bit dependent on audio codecs. And the way that works is that the, the audio has to be encoded over the air to get to the other side. Right. And, you know, the old stuff we were using was using SBC or the, the typical subband mm. communication Man. for doing the audio. Yeah. It's the lowest common denominator. Everything defaults to it when nothing else works. Uh, aptX is something that CSR is giving away basically, and everyone can have make makes a product can use aptX to go ahead and have that be their codec for good audio. But the downside here is that from Apple, Macintosh supports aptX audio, so you can pair a Bluetooth headset that uses it to your uh, to your Mac and get great sound. But iOS does not. Yeah. And the reason there is that Apple has always preferred and was trying to make stick the idea of using AAC as the audio codec. And so the iPhone favors that. And the products that are equipped with the W1 chipset are using AAC as the audio codec there over Bluetooth, which is something that was always possible with CSR as the Bluetooth chip provider, but you had to pay the license fee to do it, which is why Aptex was successful on Android and other places. So... You know, you'll still you'll get good sound out of modern Bluetooth earsets, but with an iPhone, you really need to be using the W1 of the Powerbeats or a wired lightning solution like the Pioneer Rays or, in years past, Philips Fidelio. Now, Philips here at the show is not showing any lightning products this time. They're they're going all in on Bluetooth this year. No, I mean, that makes sense from a business perspective, I would think. It, it really is about making one SKU that can be used across as many products as possible. You want to hear what I'm excited about at CES? You sound very excited already. I actually am. There are a ton of new external GPU enclosures that are at CES, and you haven't done a lot of work on those, uh, primarily because, frankly, the press releases are just as good as looking at, them at an empty enclosure at the show. But this year, we're seeing a whole bunch of different form factors. We're seeing a bunch of different sizes. If you're not planning on using a full-width card or a 10-inch long card, there are now smaller enclosures, so you don't have to have this behemoth on your desk anymore. There are all-in-ones like Lenovo. We're not certain about Mac compatibility with this one yet, but it's got a it's got an NVIDIA 1050 card integrated into it, and it's about the size of a of a paperback book. So and the nice thing about a solution like that is that instead of having to assemble one yourself, you're you're using one that's already been together with heat management and all right. of the thermal considerations in mind, which is a big problem when you have a, a very hot GPU. Right. Now, to be perfectly clear on this, a high Sierra support doesn't fully launch until the spring. And right now, you're limited to a small handful of AMD cards. 
including the Vega 56 and 64, mind you. I'm hoping that there isn't going to be a blessed configuration like Apple will only allow these six cards or something like that. We'll see what happens when it, when it fully evolves. You can do NVIDIA cards right now with, with some hacks, but I, I'm having a hard time recommending those. I'm just happy that the ecosystem is growing. Well, the thing to remember is that Apple likes having multiple suppliers of different things and that Apple has a history of having used NVIDIA in the MacBook Pros. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely reasonable to, to have hopes that NVIDIA will have full support at some point. At present, NVIDIA external GPU support is better in Sierra than it is in high Sierra. But the solution in Sierra is a hack and not Apple supported in any way. High Sierra, at least, is Apple blessed, at least in part. Right. I'm just saying that, that full support and, and blessed support, as you say. Right, right. Is, yeah, I is mean, I have not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I have full hope that full NVIDIA support will arrive in the spring when when the full support for the for the technology arrives we'll see uh, but like i said the 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 availability of the enclosures not for $500 is huge yeah that's for sure other things we've seen you know we were talking about homekit and there are a decent number of homekit accessories here that are some some that are updates and some that are totally new products that we haven't seen before for example the netgear arlo ch- camera f- uh, that's focused on children is said to be HomeKit compatible. Uh, First Alert, who formerly had made a HomeKit compatible smoke alarm and carbon monoxide detector, are now making one where they're trying to reach a sort of broader market than just HomeKit provides. So they've they've integrated the Amazon Alexa voice assistant into the smoke detector. They're using really good audio. I think it's from JBL, but don't hold me to it. And it will also be one of those kinds of products that I expect will be AirPlay 2 down the road when Apple goes ahead and releases it. So you could, instead of trying to figure out how you're going to do whole home audio, the, the truth is you ought to have a smoke detector in every bedroom, in the central space between bedrooms, and in your main living areas for your, your kitchen and living room. Well, if you do that, you've now got whole house audio, courtesy of AirPlay 2. So that's an interesting kind of thing. Philips Hue, of course, updated their their app and is doing continuing to do HomeKit with their bridge. Um, let's see. There are a couple of security systems. We covered Abode, and I'm talking to Honeywell later today to, to hear about what they're going to do and how they're exploring the possibilities of HomeKit. Um, Simply Safe. The Wemo Bridge. The Wemo Bridge is a big one from Belkin. Yeah, but hold up. I talked, I talked with the founder of... Simply Safe and Simply Safe is a DIY home security system, and they're going all in on HomeKit. Good. And I just—it's really cool because, you know, we we talk about doing this kind of thing in in HomeKit on your own, where you have the door lock and you have camera and you have these these uh, door and window sensor kind of things, and you you sort of rig it together using automation scripts in Home. To, to pull it all together, but the idea of having a provider back it and create the scenes for you that say, you know, here's my away scene, here's my armed scene, and all of these things, and be able to control them by a voice command from Hey Siri and things like this is huge. I just triggered a Hey Siri somewhere. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> it's a big deal. I think it's important. So now talk to me about Wemo Bridge because I had a party with those guys and, and that's one of the other things that happens here at CES. 
<laughs> you want to repeat yourself there? That's so one of the other. <laughs> I may I may leave it in to be honest, but that's one of the things that happens here at CES is that you go to the exhibits during the day, and at night you may or may not get invited into receptions or parties or or cocktail hours to really meet with the people behind these products and talk with them. And it's a good opportunity to ask questions about why the decisions were made that were made. And one of the things that I I did was I went to a Belkin reception that was all about their wireless charging and how great it was that, that they could do Qi charging for everything. And I said, that's pretty nice, but, but where is HomeKit and Wemo? And they said, I'm glad you asked. Let me introduce you to the product manager for Linksys and Wemo. And, here you go. And he goes, yeah, we launched this $39 bridge and it makes all of our existing Wemo stuff HomeKit compatible. To which I said, that's awesome. But what about the future? Are future products going to be Wi-Fi already and they're going to have HomeKit built into them? And he said, we have a huge number of people who have existing Wemo stuff that needs to be made HomeKit. And we're doing that now. Later on, you know, maybe. And we all took another drink. It was really... (laughs) (laughs) Now... To, to give you some perspective, let me set the scene. This reception took place in a bar called Minus Five. And Minus Five is a, a thing where they have lockers at the entrance. You you put your stuff in a locker, so you're carrying around a bag full of business cards and, and samples of product and stuff like that. You put that in a, in a locker, you lock it. They hand you a fake fur parka and a, a fake fur hat to wear and gloves. And you go into the minus five bar. It's all ice. Everything is ice sculpture and the furniture is ice sculpture. And the glasses from which you drink are carved out of ice. And you you have to hold the glass with your gloves to prevent your hands from sticking to the glass as they pour your drink. It's really quite cold. After a while, you can't feel your feet. So we're all in here in these these fur jackets with hats that have Belkin and Linksys branding on them, having drinks, talking about Wemo. And that's what it's like at NerdFest 2018. Um, Victor Marks, Apple Insiders, uh, <laughs> Apple Insiders. Um, your your God, loyal I, I correspondent. Name. From, yeah, his, uh, our, lower, our, lower, our loyal correspondent and our Hunter S. Thompson in the flesh. There we go. I got the name out. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's, <laughs> that's when the lizards and the bats started flying through. And uh, you have to be careful because this is bat country out here. Oh boy! The uh, you, yeah, but the, you said it. Now, the the cool thing is, I I was never interested in using Wemo before this because I've I've done some exercise with Homebridge on Raspberry Pi as as Neil, but having Wemo have full support means now I can look at using Wemo in my house and being very happy with it, knowing that it's a a well sussed out product simply more options are better uh, and the the wemo stuff has been around a very long time relatively speaking. 2011 2012 so this is uh, this is a big addition with support to for, for people looking at homekit buildouts and i cannot stress enough that homekit is uh, homekit is hard to get into piecemeal you, you really have to consider the other people in your house that are not you like for instance, I'm fine with a power socket adapter. That's that makes perfect sense for me. I know what it is. I know to control it. But I know that if it's attached to a power switch, I maybe I shouldn't touch that power switch. But my children, for instance, or my senior citizens in the house don't. Mm. The- so in that case, a switch is appropriate. So I, it's just something you got to look at the you've got to look at the available 
pieces to HomeKit and figure out what's going to work the best. There's no universal solution. Well, but yeah, given the Wemo, given the Wemo infrastructure, given what they've built out, this gives people many more options to choose from. The best solutions are the ones that, when installed, don't act any different than what you would expect them to do if they weren't smart. Yeah, I think for, I'm out for of example, my word right? If, if you yeah, have that's, a, if you yeah. have a hue bulb screwed into a light socket, when you flip the switch on the wall, just as you would have done for the past 100 years, the light has to come on. You you need to have user expectations, and with a hue right. product, it does. The issue is that if you want the hue to be a smart product, you have to leave the light switch on on the wall and then control the rest of it from right. you know the the assistant or the home app or this kind of thing, and that breaks the expectation. And that's why I like replacing the in wall switch or doing something to convert the in wall switch mm-hmm. rather than the light bulb approach. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That that's uh, I think we've spoken about this about six months ago on this very podcast. But this is, I'm very much with you on that. And I think that, like I said, I think my word quotient for the week is is fall. And I think that's why I'm having trouble extracting my thoughts this morning. Well, we've we've put you know the, I, I should explain when I'm here at CES, I am doing a lot to go between the booths and between the convention halls and try and capture the stories. Mike is on the back end, sitting at home. And it, well, no, sitting in his, his Apple Insider Cabal office. In my bunker, right? Yes. And is grinding out the stories based on the information and pictures and things that I'm relaying to him. So we work as a tight team, and I have been overworking him. And I, I owe everyone apologies for this, but it's <laughs> it's really, that's how we fu- function effectively as a team. And so, Mike, when you're out of your word quotient, we understand why. Well, plus to say nothing of the fact that connectivity in Las Vegas with everybody doing the same thing that you and I are, that, that sometimes leads to some interesting gaps in conversations where I'll send you a question and I'll get a response an hour later because you just got the message. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. You know, and there are tons of vendors that have products that could be converted to HomeKit, that could be adapted to HomeKit, but they just don't know that it's possible yet. And so I was actually at a booth and was showing someone how I've converted using HomeBridge their product to work with HomeKit when they didn't want to support it because they thought they had to spend the money on the secure authentication chip. There's a huge education thing at work there, but being able to demonstrate that that they need to get on board with it is a fun thing to do. So, so yeah, it's kind of a mixed role being an advocate for Apple stuff as well as <laughs> trying to find it here. But uh, so we said Netgear, we said Philips Hue, we said Wemo. We said uh, we didn't mention Nanoleaf. Nanoleaf's a good one. So oh yeah, Nanoleaf's got an interesting Dungeons and Dragons style controller now. It's a a twelve sided rotational con- home kit compatible controller. Dodecahedron. Yep, dodecahedron, and you put the side for the for the action you want up, and then your leaf or your other home kit gear that you've got set up in conjunction with the leaf lighting will respond accordingly. Right. So firstly, firstly, the controller controls the lighting. And what NanoLeaf does is they make uh, both triangular and soon square panels that attach to each other and can display beautiful colored lights all over your wall in a pattern. And the dodecahedron controls those and controls colors and brightness and things like that. But because it's a HomeKit device, it can also act as the trigger for scenes and other devices, which makes it kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of wacky. It's like something out of Logan's Run. Well, I mean, the idea is is 
they, they originally started by making light bulbs, and their light bulbs were dodecahedron-shaped LED bulbs, where the dodecahedron part was black, and you saw the LEDs actually mounted on the outside of the black bit. Very unique look. And that was they launched through a crowdfunding effort. I have some of those bulbs. They're kind of cool, but they're not nearly as cool as doing this whole wall art kind of lighting, which is, is no one else is doing that. You can buy a bunch of different kind of home kit light bulbs if you want, but doing it their way means they're doing something that only they can do. Hang on one second. <clears throat> okay, I'm back. Yeah. Sorry about that. So let's let's do this in reverse. Normally at this point in the show, Neil asks me, so what's the most interesting thing you've seen at CES? Which is a hard question to answer anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and flip it. Mike, what's the most interesting thing you've seen come out of our reporting and, and coverage? Well, I briefly talked about the external GPUs, but I understand that's kind of a niche thing. The CES is kind of... I'm actually going to flip the switch on you a little oh, bit here. On. The yeah, the the interesting thing about CES is it actually looks like this year that most of the stuff we're talking about is actually going to ship. When when you deal with CES coverage, you get a lot of press releases across your desk, and you, you at, over time you get a feel for what's going to ship and what you don't think is going to ship, and what's going to make their first quarter, and what's you know you're going to see again at next year's CES. Hold your forked tongue. But there's <laughs> <You think> nothing. <laughs> There's nothing that I've seen this year that we've talked about throughout all the HomeKit peripherals and everything else that we've talked about that suggests to me that these ship dates are not going to get met. Yeah, and and to be fair, we're not talking about the weird and wonderful CES that has like the robot assistant for elderly living kind of thing, um, where the idea is is take people who've never seen a robot before and then put it in their house as the caretaker. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, I'm not talking about that stuff. That stuff we put that right right over there on this pile. That I'm I'm looking at right over here for the crazy side of CES, and we'll talk about some of that at Apple Insider. In fact, by the time you listen to this, you may already see an article or two about it. But I'm just I'm talking about the regular stuff. I'm I'm talking about announcements like the new Thunderbolt three controller that now has a failback where. If you have a Thunderbolt enclosure, you can plug it into a USB 3.1 Type-C device like a MacBook, and it will still work. We're going to see that, and I know we're going to see Right, that. and I've been asking all of these vendors and exhibitors, when are these things going to ship? And the answer is generally Q1 or Q2, which means this thing's real and it's in production now, and we actually have them. Occasionally, it's Q3-ish, which means it, there's a chance that it may ship this year or a chance it may die. It may not come at all. But but for the most part, we're hearing things that are real. Yeah, and and that's different. That is totally different than even last year's CES. And and that that to me is the best thing out of CES this year. Is it's not it's not a vaporware fest. Now you know, it, I want to talk some of the automotive accessory kind of products for a second because there's one mm -hmm. I want to call out. Uh, you know, in years past, we talked about Pearl, and Pearl had the rear-view camera that cost $500. It was a license plate frame setup. And there was another one that I was sent to review that we actually didn't review because it was simply not functioning. And, and you know, I, I sometimes get accusations from readers and listeners that say that I must be shilling for products because I'm only saying good things. 
But the truth is, I only want to talk about products that are good enough. I only really want to talk about products that are interesting. If something's not good enough and it's going to disappoint you, I don't even want to bother mentioning it. And, and I hope I'm not doing you a disservice in this way, but I just feel like wasting your time on something that's terrible isn't beneficial to anyone. So we, we sometimes we, turn those yeah. away. We actually use the products we're reviewing. We don't, we don't sit down with the product and roll it over in our hands for two hours and take some pictures and talk about it. Like, for instance, I did a, uh, a landing zone dock. I, I wouldn't even talk about it until I had sat it on my desk and actually used it for two weeks. And I didn't do the full review for a few months afterwards. That's a pretty long timeline. <laughs> so in, in a lot of cases, we'll get, we'll get, hey, I want you to review this kickstarted product on day one. And we're not really that interested in that because it doesn't look solid. It doesn't look that interesting. And frankly, the software probably right, doesn't but work. One, one exception to that. We will review products that are going on Kickstarter if they have shipped something previously. Right. And or we can hold it in our hands and use it. We have to be able to see. I won't take a Skype briefing that shows me video of someone using it. No. I have to hold yeah. it in my hands. Right. And if you're launching on Kickstarter, but you've got one you can send me and I can write about and then post on day one, we can do that. But the rule is, yeah, but the, I have the to have The danger that is, yeah. If you send us your Kickstarter, this is an exception to the not writing about garbage. If you send us a Kickstarter and it's garbage, we're going to say so. Yes, that, there's a, that's the you exception. take the risk, but you know, if, if you insist that you're doing Kickstarter and you're going to go ahead and, and get it out there that, and fine, but we have to have physical, we have to have something we yeah, can hold to, and use. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, and I've had the same accusations Well, you give everything like two and a half to five stars. I'm like, well, the, the stuff that's one star, I know it's one star within the first week and I, I have limited amount of hours in the day and I'm, I'm not going to spend a, I send it back to the vendor and say, thanks, but no thanks. And carry on. And we move yeah. on. That, that's just how it's got to so, go. In, in that vein, we've seen people try and do the license plate camera frame that's connected to an iOS app. So you have a backup camera on mm -hmm. a car that doesn't ship with a backup camera. And the first one was 500 bucks and went out of business started by Apple engineers. Great. The second one was was done and done badly, and I just ended up talking about it because it just didn't work right. Nanda is a company that we saw last year making essentially a, a tile or track R integrated into a cigarette lighter adapter charger so that mm -hmm. when you parked your car, you could find your car on the map using their app, and it would also be your car charger. This year, they have tire pressure sensors. And that work with the app and a rear view license plate frame. And they're doing that at a retail price of $119 and we'll be selling it in Walmart. And so Jeez. they have mastered the, the backup camera license plate frame, which I think is worth noting. You know, here's a company that's taking a weird kind of segment of, of auto space, which is the aftermarket and upgrading cars that are a little bit older to have mm -hmm. capabilities that are shipping in, in new vehicles. And tire pressure error is is a reasonable thing to do. So, you know, yeah, we're going to so try too. and get a hold of there those. There was also, let's see, Alpine had that uh, one unit mm. car, CarPlay enclosure. It's wired, but it's a much larger screen than you'd normally be able to get in a in a stereo system that you've only got one unit to put in, to put in something right, like so that. So you're talking so, about the Halo, um, right, the Halo 9 F309. Yeah. No, that just rolls off the tongue, doesn't well, it? Well, now, to be fair, the original... Alpine CarPlay unit was the ILX 007. Well, okay. That, and, that does roll and off the, the second tongue. unit, the works. second unit that we reviewed, which you can see on our site here, is the Alpine ILX 107. 
which is the wireless mm-hmm. CarPlay unit. Now they made a 207 that is CarPlay and Android Auto and stuff like this. And we didn't really, you know, we didn't even talk to them about it because, well, I like Alpine very much. When they do their CarPlay only, only units, the radio interface when you're outside of CarPlay mimics Apple's interface for what iOS should look like almost precisely. When they do it with the Android Auto compatible units also, they end up making what I call Radio OS, where, where they've decided to make their own interface language that's neither Android Auto or CarPlay. And I, I really let them have it because I already have two different visual interfaces in the radio. I really don't want to have to learn a third that's branded as Alpine because they feel they have to be different. And there's a little bit of ego attached to that for them. But what they ought to do is try and find a design language that doesn't feel entirely out of place with either Android Auto or CarPlay. So that when you, you switch between your FM tuner or your radio settings or any of these other things, that you aren't suddenly thrown out of one world into another. The F309 is an interesting product. It's an Android Auto CarPlay product. So it's got that radio OS feel to it when you're outside of either of those worlds. But it is a single DIN unit instead of a double DIN unit. And so it will work with radios that are with cars that are much older and have only a single whole space. Yeah. The screen on a double den unit has traditionally been limited to six, six point nine, almost seven inches, basically. And this is nine, is it not? The F three hundred nine unit is a nine inch display, and what they're doing here is they're attaching this giant display to the single den unit and having it have a tilt control on it. You can you can rock it back and forth and adjust it so you get less glare. And it looks a lot like, for all the world, the kinds of displays that are shipped by OEMs in cars like BMW and Mercedes, where the display floats in front of the dashboard. And so it's a huge upgrade for a car that has a single DIN unit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think this is a great thing, but I use my car trips. Just I put my phone down and I just drive. You know, so th- this isn't particularly for me, but man, it, l- it looks like a solid product. Well, we, we know that people using their phones while driving is a very real problem. Mm-hmm. And we know that, that people texting while driving is a very real problem. And CarPlay does a lot to address that. It does. I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. But this is just a, a psychology thing. I, I spend all day at Apple Insider staring at the screen. You are unique. You, know, you, are, just you are alone in this one. Um, I might and, be. And having that nav screen with Apple Maps is really gorgeous, too. Having that full screen. And you don't necessarily have to look over at it, but having the uh, the turn-by-turn showing there so you know that your left turn coming up in 500 meters is, is there that's huge i i really do like the idea of the f309 and um you know pioneer released some single ding units early in the year pioneer's got some some updated units coming but alpine continues to to do good things now we're going to end up trying to review that alpine unit we're also going to review the cool things that pioneer is showing and we, we, we do this because, first of all, I like CarPlay. Second of all, I do these radio installs in a snap. But I, I really like bringing them to you because I think having CarPlay in the car is something everyone should have. If you have an iOS device, if you use an iOS device, I have a hard time saying anything other than, yes, you should have CarPlay. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. I, you know, I have no arguments there. 
What else should we talk about here? What else is good? Well, uh, shifting over to Apple news, we've got shareholders are asking Apple to study the impact of iPhone addiction on young users and want Apple to take active steps in the form of more restrictive parental controls on the iPhone and the iPad. So this is interesting because this goes back for me to something Johnny Ive said in the interview that he gave to the New Yorker, which Neil covered. And uh, we used to have that on our site until the New Yorker asked us to take it down, I think. But one of the mm-hmm. quotes from that was Johnny Ive talking about how important it is to not be glued to the screen. And he, I think he alluded to using the Apple Watch as a way of not doing that. That He said we were using our phones too much. And by using the Apple Watch, it cuts down on that screen time. Because what happens is that you I- use the Apple Watch more during the day, but you use it for smaller amounts of time and smaller amounts of interactions. When you use a phone, you're using it for longer sessions. Yeah, but in terms of restrictions, the shareholder letter proposes modifying initial setup on iPhone for age gating. And what they want is more control over over usable hours of the day, what social media services a child can access, and more monitoring information on how a device is used and where the kids go on the internet. Now, here's the interesting thing. Victor and I are both parents. Uh, yes, I admit that. Um, while I am okay with hours of the day, you can only use it between X and Y hour. I I, I think that the vast majority of this goes to the parent. I, I think that shunting a restriction to a device so the parent can point, well, no, your iPhone says you're done. I, I think that's cheating the issue. I, I, would, I would be happy with better controls for the parental restrictions and and being able to do things a little more finely grained than I can currently. But I don't need someone else to decide by age gating for me because it's it's my job to determine what's acceptable and what isn't. And I I locked out YouTube on the girls' iPads and they don't Mm -hmm. get YouTube. And their social media accounts are private accounts and they have accounts on Instagram and Musical.ly. And they're not allowed to post to Musical.ly. They're allowed to use to create local videos saved to the photos folder. They use Instagram to post on their private. They're only allowed to follow people they actually know in real life or celebrities. And if people they don't know try and follow them, they block them. So that their experience is one where they get to see a little bit about what public figures post and what people they actually know post. Yeah, we haven't quite gotten to that level in this house yet. The kids are a little bit too young to start dealing with social media and that kind of thing. But I, I agree with your approach on that. I'm, I have 12-year-olds, I'm con- and I'm trying to uh, create yeah. a, an environment that's safe for them that I can monitor without being um, too much of a nanny about it, and yet ease them into understanding that when they post something, it's out there forever and they lose control of it. You know, one of the right. things that, that I did when they were a little younger was we'd look at the back of other people's cars and what bumper stickers were there and what were the stick figure families that they posted on them. And I said, you know, what do you know about that person? Well, their kid goes to this school. They like going to this beach for vacation. And they have a family with a mother, a father, a boy and a girl and a cat. And I'm like, how much information did they give away just by the back of their car? And... It, you know, their their eyes opened and said a lot. You know, we actually know quite a, a, a bit of stuff about that person now. And I said, when you post something on social media, it's like doing this on the back of the car, but for the whole world, and you can't take it back. 
And so, yeah, I agree. I, I think that I have no problem with additional optional settings. I'd rather Apple not be the curator of what my children get to see and watch based on an age that they have, you know, that they have established. I, I think that too much of this takes too much responsibility out of the hands of parents and they can just say, Oh no, Hey, Apple put this restriction on and I'm just going by that. And I have a problem with that. I also think that the American educational system needs to do a slightly better job about discussing social media. I, would say and I don't think they do very much about it at all. <laughs> so I'm, while this is, I, I don't think this is a bad move. I think that poorly executed, this is going to be a problem. And so in essence, I'm of a mixed mind about it. It's when my son was young, he and I would have battles about the volume switch on his, on his iPod where I would turn it down. This is in the early days of iOS where there weren't that many controls on what kids could do as far as maximum volume. And being that he was monkeying with an educational app, he wanted at the maximum volume possible. So to curtail that, I ultimately just snipped off the end of a headphone jack and and put that in his it put that in his mm-hmm. iPod at the time in his iPod Touch, so he could get the reading lessons, but I didn't have to hear whatever the song the app was playing ten thousand times in an hour. So with one of my daughters, uh, we we initially had to years ago teach her about volume levels of, of the iPad, and the easiest way to tell her what to adjust the volume to was by naming the number of squares in yeah we call them dots we yeah and <laughs> we did and the so same thing. you know i i had to make and 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 with her i make social stories so i made a keynote deck on my iphone and then sent it to her and the keynote deck showed her all the squares and then showed her setting the volume at three squares and by doing that 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 taught her to turn the volume down and mm-hmm. You know, she was one day running through the house shouting something, and and I told her, Maya, you have to go to three squares. And she turned to me and said, I am not an iPad. (laughs) (laughs) The old indoor voice doesn't work anymore. No, it does not. But even now, even now with Musical.ly, she listens to Musical.ly over and over. And Musical.ly uses short segments of songs. They don't license a full song. And so you hear the same chorus Mm -hmm. over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. And so we tell her, you, you know, Bring it down three squares. Bring it down four squares. We have to be able to hear. Why are you doing this to me? Because we're trying to have a conversation on the phone, honey. (laughs) You know, because I think that's the best example. I think that's parental involvement, and that's how this should be taken care of rather than leaving it to Silicon Valley. Yeah. That, that's that's my stance on this, and uh, it's maybe it's not a popular stance. You know, people are going to criticize me saying, well, you can't pay attention to your children all the time, to which I say, I work at home. I most certainly can. No, I, I understand the difficulty that parenting presents, especially when both parents are working, but I, I really think the ultimate authority has to lie with you as parents. And, and Apple can provide tools to assist, but they have to be an assist. Once, once you start yeah, delegating I, I everything to, to Apple, then you end up with the same kind of problems with, with, um, with well, you end up in regulatory problems. You end up in legal problems with, with expectations that Apple will look after you. It, it's, it's, it gets weird, and it gets weird pretty fast. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, there have been lawsuits. Apple has actually had to suffer from some lawsuits regarding this, not necessarily with children, but with adults saying, well, you you led me astray, Apple. You let me view this content, which ruined my marriage. We're not going to no, delve into it, it that far, but you already know what yeah. I'm talking about. And that that's not Apple's responsibility. That It's not even Apple's responsibility to provide parental controls, really. It's well, it is one hundred percent on the So parents. there are some very real problems that so. that Apple can limit, and there are the things like the old stories about in-app purchases, mm-hmm. um, and you know Apple should totally be able to prevent three thousand dollars in in-app purchases by a child. I agree. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that. You know, Apple had initially curated the app store in such a way that there was no objectionable content ever and had to end up allowing content that said this content's advisable for children for people over the age of 17, right? Mm-hmm. And so they they have to walk these very fine lines and these very difficult propositions and th- there there has to be a way where they don't end up being responsible for everyone. Yeah, keep in mind I said that Apple is not responsible for this. I'm not saying that Apple shouldn't give you the tools exactly. to do it. I, I think that the tools they have are okay. They they work for what I need them yeah. to work with. If they implement more, that's fine. But as long as it's not ham-handed, as long as they're implemented well and with sanity and with granularity so parents can pick what they want to implement and what they don't, I'm fine with it. Now, that. I want to talk for a second about another thing that I saw at CES, and then we're going to post the interview, and I want to wrap it up. So, Sounds good. The cool thing that I saw last night is a skateboard. Now, you ask, why is that cool? <laughs> it's a skateboard. And and Neil has covered some of the motorized skateboards in the past. We had Onboard. We've talked about Boosted, things like that. What makes this one different is that all of those other ones had a controller in your hand to control the motorized part of the skateboard or had a iPhone app that you could use to control the skateboard. This one, this one is special. This one, you don't ride like a normal skateboard. You ride it more like a snowboard or a surfboard. And so you shift your weight in order for it to move forward or you shift your weight back to cause it to reverse or break. And I can't ride a skateboard to save my life. I'm pretty hopeless. <laughs> but I was able to stand on this and within 10 seconds, I was navigating just fine around the show floor amongst people, which is wow. a testament to how good a job they've done. And the iOS app exists to do things like speed limiting so you don't run away at 20 miles an hour, uh, to talk about your battery life and your range and things like that. And the batteries on this one pop off very easily so that you can take them inside and charge them. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to extend your range, you could just buy some more batteries and pop them on when you need to. It is a really impressive thing. And the cost for it is significantly less than other boards that we've seen. You know, usually a board, an electric skateboard is like a thousand bucks. And here we're talking on the order of around five hundred, and so mm, that is, yeah, so that's app no- enabled electric skateboard that an idiot like me can ride without killing himself around a convention show floor amongst other people, and it's five hundred bucks. I what could possibly uh, don't go ask, wrong? Please, I don't want to know at this point. I like it too much now, <laughs> so. What I'm hoping for and what I was talking to them for, and this is kind of a long shot, was asking them to supply us with two boards, one for Neil, the experienced rider to take around Brooklyn, and one for me, the the uh, hapless, uh, uh-huh. you know, the person who needs a helmet and elbow pads. Oh, and everything, yeah, right? wondering where you're yeah, going with and, that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to have us both ride them and trade experiences. Hmm. Yeah. That would work. So 
we're going to try and do that. And I gave you pictures and information about it last night. Hopefully we can post a story. We'll see how that goes. And now I want to, to go ahead and introduce Deirdre from Pioneer. Welcome to this portion of the Apple Insider podcast from CES 2018. And it's kind of staggering to say that because I'm still not ready to say 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm here with Deirdre from Pioneer. And for, first of all, introduce yourself. Tell me a little bit about what your role is. Okay. I'm uh, part of the Pioneer Raise product team, and I'm primarily responsible for uh, marketing and um, in addition to doing some user insights and consumer product testing and things like that. Fantastic. So I'm, I'm looking at the Pioneer Raise smart noise canceling lightning powered headphones. They're, they're some in-ear earbuds mm-hmm. with noise cancellation. Yes. And what, what makes them smart noise canceling? number of things that make them smart. I would say fundamentally it's the ability of the headphones to connect to your phone and tra- and get information um, via our app. So what that means is our headphones know what mode the phone is in. Um, our app can deliver um, feature updates over time. And so this now becomes a product that is longer lasting and more valuable over time and can accept uh, new features, much like your iPhone would with traditional updates. Cool. And and they have a number of features to them that also make them smart. Yes. A couple of great features. Let me just jump in on those. Um, my, my favorite feature is Smart Mute. And um, what Smart Mute really allows me to do is um, carry on a conversation um, in a way that when I stop talking, the microphone will know, the microphones in the headset will know I'm not talking and automatically mute the phone mic. So now people on the other end of the line aren't hearing all of my background noise. And it's smart enough to know that as soon as I start talking, to unmute the microphone. So now I can have a very natural conversation and the entire conversation is not bothered by that background noise. Um, that's one of the smart features that I love. Um, another one that I love is uh, one that we call smart noise canceling. And what this allows us to do is actually fine-tune the performance of the noise canceling uniquely to each person. So as you know, um, my ears are different from your ears. Um, My ears are different left to right. And so um, the fit of the headphones can often impact the quality of the noise canceling performance that you get. So we're able to now, um, through a a very short sequence of calibration, um, update the algorithm for noise canceling real time so that it's optimized based on the fit to your ears, leading to better performance. Very cool. I, I'm still excited about smart mute. I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I've been on a conference call and you know there's always someone on the conference call who's calling from the airport or calling from, from the zoo or the swimming pool and the noise is going, can, can that guy please mute his phone? Can yes. everyone mute their phones? Yeah. And then the other one is when they call on you to speak, Victor, what do you think about this? And my touchscreen is frozen, and I can't take it off mute. And they, Victor, Victor, did we lose you? And they think you've gone. They, they're sure I've gone. Yes, and it takes too long sometimes to get that back. And smart, those are a couple of very real problems that we see um, our target customer um, dealing with, and we think we've got a very um, simple yet innovative way of addressing that. Amazing. How many microphones are on this thing? Because my understanding is that the way that noise cancellation works is that you have microphones specifically to hear the outside noise to know how to filter it out. 
Yes, uh, we actually have six microphones and we use a combination of a feed forward, feed back noise canceling design. So we're listening not only to the outside noise, but we're also um, listening to the, the noise canceling that's happening in your ear. And we do that with the two microphones in each earpiece. And we use the two microphones in the remote um, in combination to enable these other smart features like smart mute. Um, like smart noise canceling. And we've also introduced um, the capability to uh, use voice activated Hey Siri. And so as a result of having these microphones specifically placed and specifically tuned, we can do some very uh, novel things with the headset. I need to go into airplane mode for a second and I'm gonna have to ask you to repeat that because sure. when it gets notifications, it will put a beep through the middle of the sound. Oh! <laughs> so tell me again about Hey Siri functionality. <laughs> yes, so I love Hey Siri. That's another, um, it's another hands-free um, experience that, uh, that I think our customer um, will really benefit from. So we're uniquely positioned to be able to allow you to activate Hey Siri with only your voice. And what does that mean? It means that I can now leave the phone in my pocket. I can say, Hey Siri, you know, text Victor or Hey Siri, call Victor. And as I'm walking down the street, so it's all hands-free and being very present and can see my surroundings and yet I can have all of these, um, these benefits um, enabled by my voice. And then as we move into the phone call, we just talked about the benefit of smart mute. And so this is how these smart features all work together to really give you a, um, a seamless experience. One of the coolest things that I know uh, one of our other editors, Neil Hughes, is going to love yeah. is the fact that you've got the female lightning port on the headphones. Yes. So you can go ahead and charge your device mm -hmm. while you're, you're listening. Right, right. We saw, um, you know, there's, there's so many advantages um, to new, uh, new iPhones when they come out, right? There's always, um, you know, improvements in screen and processing. And with the removal of the 3.5 millimeter jack um, when they moved to the iPhone 7, we saw a lot of people were, were upset, but we saw it really as a great, a great moment where now we were really going to start to be able to offer these new features and benefits we've been talking about. But what that left consumers with is the frustration of not being able to charge while they had the headphone plugged in. And so that was really the idea behind this port. So now you can be talking on the phone. If you're like me on the phone all day long, um, I can plug my lightning cable in, I can charge my phone um, and still continue to use the headset. You know, one thing it also um, often leads to is uh, a question about, well, am I charging the headset or am I charging the phone? And the beauty of lightning powered is that the headphones have no battery. So you never need to charge them. You plug them in and they're ready to go. They power the noise canceling and, and all of these things work well together. So um, we're pretty excited about um, being the first to be able to give you, you the benefit of charging and talking at the same time. Let me ask, is there a significant power drain because it's doing all this active noise cancellation with the six microphones yeah. and everything that's going on with the app? That's a great question. That is an, it's a great question because we know, you and I know, and we believe our consumers all have this um, angst about what's the battery life of my phone? Is yeah. it going to make it through the day? Am I charge going to be able to... Charge anxiety. Yes, charge anxiety. <laughs> you know, we're carrying these power bricks around. And I think one of the, the, the important pieces to talk about here is that within the headphone is um, a, a new package of electronics um, that we were the first to to launch. And it's it's essentially the 
Apple Lightning Audio Module 2, and that's a mouthful, but what that really means is we've been able to design this product um, with efficiency in mind, and through the testing that we've done on the product, we've found that consumers should expect no more of a battery drain using our product with all of its smart features, um, as they would if they were using a standard pair of um, Apple Lightning EarPods. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's it's really kind of incredible because I'm looking at these and they're, you know, you, classically, you'd look at, at earbuds that had noise cancellation and there was a giant lump that carried a AAA right. battery and a giant lump that carried the microphone and yeah. the noise canceling technology. And here, it, if we didn't know that these were, were smart noise canceling lightning powered headphones, they would look just like any other pair of headphones. You've really concealed all of the technology. And that, you know, you um, you and I were talking earlier about sort of the vision behind the product. And um, in the very early days, the team took a challenge to make sure that we designed a product that fit the physical expectations of the consumer, right? And so today, you look at some of the passive products that are out there, and they are very small. They're very portable. And the benefit of earbuds and earphones is that they they can go anywhere. So for us to introduce new technology that caused a compromise in terms of size or excess battery drain or all of these other new behaviors, we felt it didn't really add value. And so um, our team really took that as a personal challenge, and I was really excited to see what they were able to do in terms of packing in all of these features, benefits, keeping it efficient, and yet making it small. So you can just roll it up, put it in your pocket, and it's ready to go whenever you are. So one of the things that I struggle with a lot when I, I look at products is, you know, who is this for and what, what problem do they have yeah. that's the most important for them to solve? Mm -hmm. Because you, you know as well as I do that when people say they've made a product for everybody, yeah. it, it means that they've made it for nobody because they haven't thought it through a lot. Yeah, yeah. Right? So... So who, what, what is the biggest problem that you solve for people? This is, um, this is great. You know, we, we look at the world that we live in today and how we work, how we communicate with people, uh, whether it's through work or our friends, through our social media channels. The phone is really the center of, of everything. And to some extent, um, tablets and, and laptops. But if you think about it, um, we're not using landline conference systems anymore. We're not using these these big old phones. It's all on our phone. We have the benefit of FaceTime, Skype, um, all these unified communication systems. And so when we when we see what that enables, that now enables us to work anywhere we want, wherever, whenever. And we see that the current workforce is um, is evolving to um, offer that benefit of working in a collaborative workspace or work from home, or we travel. We live in a 24-7 world, some of us. And so you need to be able to be um, able to talk to your team or your family from wherever you are. So when we look at the problems that that opens up for people, that now means, um, you know, being able to connect to my phone very quickly and simply. I don't have to go through a, a pairing process, which can take time. It means that um, I want to be able to have a conversation in the airport, or I want to catch up with my friends as I'm walking from the commuter train to my office in a noisy environment, or I want to be able to have um, my headset be smart enough to know when I need to stop listening to music or when I want to restart listening to music so I can have a conversation. So we've really looked at this holistically, kind of a day in the life of, and some of the problems we've identified specifically are 
How do you have a better conversation in noise? And features like Smart Mute have addressed that. Um, how do you have a conversation with a coworker who wants to come up and talk to you? And features like um, either Hear Through, which allows you to have a conversation uh, without taking the earphones out, or Auto Pause, if you want to take them out and have a longer conversation, we'll pause your music so you don't lose your place. Um, so it's really designed for um, today's up-and-coming mobile worker, right? Somebody, we call them the remote workers or the hashtag work from anywhere generation <laughs> because you really want to be able to do it and you want to be good at it um, and you don't want the drawbacks that come along with you know, making the phone call from the airport or someplace else. Yes. Cool. Now, there's a second product called the yes. Raise Rally. Yes. And this is a portable conference speaker phone kind of thing. Yes. I love it. It's one of my favorite products. I'm biased, but I do love it. Um, <laughs> okay, so this was the one that was made for you. The, well, this was made for us, uh, really when, for our when, team. When you guys were sitting around and talking about the product spec, the, this was this was your product. <laughs> they made it for me. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's funny that you say that, but our team that created this, we're all remote. Um, so we have a virtual office. We use a lot of these tools that I just talked about. So we're on Skype calls with the team in Europe or the team in Japan. Um, we're calling from airports or we're calling from hotel rooms or we want to have a quick team call, two of us in the San Francisco office, two of us in Boston. So how do you do that? And a lot of, um, a lot of what we found people doing was using their iPhone and putting it in speakerphone mode. Mm -hmm. It works. You mostly. Know, mostly. You can hear people. Mostly. Um, <laughs> what we found is that people would be hunched over the table. They'd be trying to huddle around it to hear or they feel like they had to shout in order to communicate to the person on the other line. And we just said, what if there was a way to just simply plug a speaker in and all of a sudden you get a virtual conference call experience, almost like you're talking on a polycom plugged into your iPhone. So, so I don't need to have three people leaning over my shoulders crowding around my laptop. No, no, because we designed it to be flexible enough to either plug directly into the lightning port on your phone or you can use that lightning to USB cable and plug it into the USB port on your laptop and have a Skype call and put the phone in the middle of the table. And it is the microphone is truly tuned to pick up everybody's voice. So if you have four or five people around a table, mm -hmm. they can have a conversation just like you and I are having right now. And the microphone will pick that up. So to describe this to the people listening, okay. there's a, a lightning port. Light, a lightning plug at lightning one end. On the, the lightning plug carries the microphone. It does. And then uh, a short, you know, two or three inch length of cable to the main unit, which has the speaker and the mute button. Correct. And then at the very end of all that is a female lightning port. Correct. And I can use a regular USB A to lightning connector mm -hmm. for any laptop made since whenever. Yes, absolutely. Or I could use the USB C to lightning cable, that's the fancy one, mm -hmm. and use that with a modern MacBook Pro. Yes. And you will get the benefit of this conference call quality sound. Um, when you have it plugged into your um, iPhone, it is um, smart enough to know if you're in phone mode or say music mode, and that smart button will serve as uh, mute, unmute. And we've got a little ring around the button that flashes either green when the microphone is active or it goes to red when you have it on mute. So you have a visual indication, just like the old phones, um, of when you're in mute and when you're not. Does it also do smart mute? The way that uh, it does not do smart oh, mute. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know people um, get so excited about that, but it's really um, smart mute. We're able to do that because of the six microphones that we right. have and the proximity to your mouth and your ears. Um, that 
um, speaker is designed to be sort of in the middle of the table, so you have to manually mute it. But again, we think one button turns red when you're on mute, green when you're off should be um, a great addition and make it simple for you to... Yeah. Uh point of feedback that I have to give you about that color in a moment. Okay, or great. After we, after we finish talking, I'll <laughs> okay. tell you about colors. But, All right. Um, but the beauty of this is that when it's plugged into a lightning device like an iPad or an iPhone and you're using it for a conference call, you can also charge using that, that pass-through female port. Absolutely. So Absolutely. you don't have to worry about your battery running down while you're on the call. True. That's a great point. Um, and it does, it does not have a battery in it itself. And so it draws power from uh, from your iPhone um, directly or from your laptop. And fun fact, um, we've done some tests that have shown that it actually, the Raise Rally consumes less of your battery than using your phone in speaker mode. The amplifier for running this louder speaker is more efficient than trying to run the, the speakerphone mode on the phone. It is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That is. <clears throat> so you get better sound, better speech, and you don't consume as much of your battery. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Now you know why I love it. I know. So <laughs> what, what else am I missing? What else should I know? You know, this product is, um, is super simple, right? It's, um, it connects to our Pioneer Rays app, just like the headphones do. When you connect to the app, the app is smart enough to recognize whether it's Rally speakerphone or the Rays earphone, and it'll serve you up the menu options that you need. Um, it, like the um, earphones, is updatable over time. So we may be able to do some interesting things in the future in terms of speaker or microphone tuning. And our customers who buy the product today will get full advantage of any of those improvements that happen over time just by updating the software through the app. So cool. Thank you so much, Deirdre. Thank you, Victor. This has been a lot of fun. Huh. Have a fantastic CES. You too. And have a fantastic recovery from CES. <laughs> Yes, I will. Thank you. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. Fantastic episode 155 live from CES, CES 2018. And I want to thank you for joining us and thank Mike for all his support during this event. And we will be back next week, mostly recovered. <laughs> well, I wouldn't count on that. You can catch my podcast on Monday at spacejavelin.com. And, and thank you so much. And please feel free to leave us positive reviews on iTunes. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and catch us on Twitter and email and let us know your feedback. We'd love to be able to answer questions from you guys. We'd love it. Thank you so much. Have a good day, everybody.